0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. We're going to be talking about bean leaf beetles on today's show, and we do get a lot of questions about insects all throughout the summer. This is one of those bugs that can be a little bit of a challenge because they overwinter as adults. And when you see those adults pop out and you've got tiny little beans out in the field, they can create a lot of damage in a hurry. They can also be a vector for disease. So we're going to talk about how to knock those bean leaf beetles out of your fields. Also be taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. All right, Brian, uh, you're out on the road a little bit today. Seeing anything fun out there?
1: Oh, there's all kinds of stuff fun, but I would say lots of variability. We see this all over the place. I'm driving all through South Dakota today. And, I mean, there's some stuff that looks fantastic, other stuff drowned out, some guys still planting. So, for the most part, though, I'd say the crop looks fair, and that's about as high as I would rate it. A lot of areas need rain, things are looking pretty dry, grass is getting real brown now, but we'll see. I mean, it's still very early in the season, so lots of time yet to determine yield.
0: Yeah, there sure is a long ways to go, and you know, you think about a problem like bean leaf beetles early season in crop. A lot of guys say, "Well, how much yield could they really hurt?" My beans are tiny, and and they'll recover from a leaf feeding incident. I don't look at it that way. I I just think, you know, what it cost me a couple bucks to treat, and I'm never gonna notice if I lost two dollars or four dollars an acre worth of yield. I don't want to put that kind of stress on my plants. I don't want anything holding them back, especially when they're trying to grow vegetatively right now and they're going to be flowering here real soon. I want to make sure they get all the power they can to to catch sunlight energy and push as much energy as they can into those flowers and ultimately pods.
1: Yeah, but honestly, my two reasons why I would spray, number one bean pod model virus and any other potential diseases. But bean leaf beetles are known to carry bean pod model virus, and that's not a good disease for your beans. And that does actually cost you a bunch of yield and it absolutely hurts seed quality. But then the other side of it is, if you don't kill them now, they're coming back again. They're just gonna lay eggs and you're gonna have to fight with them again. And I mean, yeah, you're right in that the leaf feeding isn't that big a deal now. But the feeding they do late in the season is this: they end up clipping pods. We've seen that before, and that's a disaster because in some cases you're too close to the you're too close to harvest to spray any insecticide to stop them, and that's if you even happen to notice them. Because a lot of times, I, I mean, like for me, I'm not out walking in our bean fields two weeks before they're going to get harvested. In some cases. So I might miss it, and all of a sudden, I come along at harvest time, and I got a whole bunch of pods laying on the ground. That's all bad news. So just kill them now. Have it over with. Like you said, $2. No big deal. But when you're going to spray, don't please don't use the three-quarter rate of pyrethroid. Just use the full rate. It's like an extra 50 cents. So then you're sure you get them, and also you leave some residual just in case there are a few other stragglers around that didn't get hit by the first spray.
0: Yeah, that's a big one. There's there's a lot of places where you can can cut back on different things and save a little bit of money. And as farmers over the years, you, you go through good times, you go through tough times. A lot of times the the story that you learn in the tough times is, man, do I need a 100% job on this or that? No, I can get by with an 80 or 90% job on this or that. But when we're talking about insect control, you do need a 100% job. And like you said, the cost... Of getting to 100% is not very much. It's laughable and it's a lot less than if you had to make another trip later. So, just as well spend the money, do it the right way first.
1: Yeah, but you bring up a good point. To do a 70 or 80% job, okay, let's say if you do a 70 or 80% job on insects, diseases, or weeds, you know what you do? You build up tolerance in that weed, insect, or disease. And all of a sudden you start having resistance issues. So even the full rate eventually doesn't work. So the, the key thing, and I heard this years and years ago when we were talking about weed resistance, and I don't know who it was that said it, but whoever it was, I want to thank them because they said this, a dead weed can never become a resistant weed. So that's what you got to think of all the time with the bugs, the diseases, and the weeds. If it's dead, it can never become resistant. You have no worries out there. So Everybody's all, and and granted, I mean, there are a lot of companies that try to get us uh, all worked up about resistance and, oh, it's terrible and everything else. Don't worry so much. We got a lot of options to kill almost any pest that there is in crops, but it's real in that you don't want to be cutting rates because when you do, then you have problems. So we're all all for a cut rate if that will still solve the problem and kill 100% of whatever we're after. But if it doesn't, then your rate's insufficient. Don't try saving money there. Try saving money somewhere else. Uh, Here's, in my opinion, here's where you save the most money on your farm or maybe make the most money. It's the fertility program. So, I mean, we look at soil tests every day. I mean, you probably hear us on the radio talking soil tests every day. How often do we say, wow, your field looks perfect? Do we ever say that? I don't recall us ever saying that once. It's always, ooh, you need more of this. You could get by with them with less of that or whatever else fine tune that that'll make you hundreds of dollars here we're talking 50 cents so use the full rate
0: well we're going to talk bean leaf beetles on our show today and as you're looking at fields scouting on your farm you're probably thinking about other things as well you're thinking about this weed or you're thinking about that issue that you got with plant growth and development our phone lines are open at 844 844- Forty-four Ag PhD if you've got a question. If you want to send us a picture or if you want to send us a soil or plant tissue sample, uh, you can certainly do that as well. Radio at Ag PhD is our email address and, and we take a look at emails each day on the show during the Ag PhD mailbag. We'll get to that here after just a little bit. We're going to start off, we got a, a few guests that are very, very familiar with bean leaf beetles. We want to talk about what you can do to stop them and how much damage they could potentially cause out there, and how best to scout for them and figure out: Hey, is it worth treating in this case? So, stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back.
2: When I step on someone's farm, I feel like I've already walked a mile in their shoes. I spend spring on the tractor and fall in the combine. I see the excitement in my kids' eyes on our farm, but worry if there's enough of it for all of them. I make sure everything Case IH makes meets the challenges farmers face, because I face them too. My name is Ryan, I am a farmer, and I work at Case IH.
0: Case IH, built by farmers. This is Mike. Hey. He's getting a quick haircut
2: at the local barber school.
3: It's only
0: five bucks. How bad can it? Oh! Yikes. Don't be like Mike when it comes to weed control. Get the job done right the first time and plan ahead with Status Herbicide. It delivers elite corn safety and reliable performance, so you don't have to deal with more problems than you bargained for.
4: No, 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 no! no.
0: Status Herbicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. At Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com. back you're listening to ag phd radio broadcasting from the morton studio today and our topic is bean leaf beetles yes we're seeing them out there we've been getting some calls guys saying man i was out making my first cutting in alfalfa and guess what was out there and i said alfalfa weevil larvae well yeah there were some of those but there were a lot of bean leaf beetles out there and as soon as i cut they moved right into my soybean fields and we're also hearing from from growers that say, man, I don't know where these things came from. I just scouted a few days ago, and here they are. Uh, there are some areas out there where the bean leaf beetle feeding this year has been heavy. Is it that way on your farm? Only way to tell, get out there and take a look. Got Zach Trowers with us right now with Syngenta. What are you seeing over in Iowa, Zach? Are you seeing many bean leaf beetles yet?
5: Yeah, I mean, bean leaf beetle has been one of those insects that I have seen Actually on the rise the past few years, I mean, as we've seen these warmer, warmer springs, uh, earlier planting, I have definitely seen a lot more bean leaf beetle pressure, not only in the beginning of the season, but still hanging around there at the end of the season.
0: Well, you mentioned the the warmer springs. I just keep hoping, Zach, that this whole global warming thing they talk about makes South Dakota and Iowa a great place to spend the winter instead of all our people from our states heading south to Florida or California or Arizona or something like that. But it appears that bean leaf beetles that overwinter here seem to like it when it warms up early in the spring fast.
5: Yeah, I mean, that's. We, we've seen that with a lot of our insects, right? Corn rootworm pressure has been growing the past few years, but bean leaf beetle, I just think it's one of those pests we kind of forgot about for a while, but it just seems that as we get warmer and warmer springs and we get those earlier plantings, they just continually become more and more of a problem, and as that pressure builds, it's just going to continually be harder to control them.
0: I know the seed treatments have some impact when you look at cruiser or, or poncho or gaucho. They definitely do have uh, some killing power on these bean leaf beetles. But man, these bean leaf beetles are adults and they're big and they can do a bunch of feeding before they ingest enough of the seed treatment product to, to be uh, knocked off those plants. So what's it take? I mean, do we have to be out there scouting for these even when I am using a seed treatment?
5: Absolutely. So, you know, seed treatment, that's, that's kind of, we got to get these soybeans off to a great start. And, you know, you mentioned the cruiser, that thymethoxin piece, you know, that's a nice residual component that's going to help us maybe control that first generation um, of our bean leaf beetles. But it's one of those insects where we can see a second, a third generation here in Iowa, potentially, depending on how warm we are where we definitely have to keep scouting, watching that pest. This isn't just, you know, we, we always talk about soybeans. They're continually growing. They're very resilient, right? I mean, I, I, I was always joking. We used to burn them down to matchsticks and, and raise 70-bushel beans. But as we move into these higher-yielding systems, as these bean leaf beetles keep coming and they start feeding during that reproductive stage, I think that's where we really got to pay attention to this, is that we're seeing feeding early in the season. We're trying to control them. We really gotta watch out for those later generations because they're gonna start attacking our flowers. I've seen them get to the pressures where they clip pods and that's gonna be our direct yield loss. Um, Just like a lot of our insects and soybeans, we really gotta watch out for them and make timely applications of insecticides.
0: Well, that next generation—that—that that was one point that my brother was making this morning. He's or, or this afternoon. He said, "You know, yeah, this first one. I don't know how much feeding they're going to do, but if you don't stop them now, there will be another generation. And when that next generation comes, mm-hmm. we've got pods, <laughs> and I don't want any bugs out yep. in my field when we got pods."
5: Absolutely. I mean, that's, it's always indicative. I see a lot of early feeding and then they kind of disappear a lot of times, you know, at least in Iowa before really looking at that, you know, if we're going to catch a, catch a ride with a herbicide, put a, put an insecticide in there. But it's those late season applications. I think that's where, when we're looking at that fungicide timing, looking around flowering and we're seeing those beetles out there. You know, with this hot weather, if you walk out early in the morning, a lot of times you'll find them out there or even late at night when it's cooling down and they're kind of settling down. Um, You know, really taking taking note if you're seeing them move to those pods and those flowers and starting to clip there and feed there. I think that's where we look at a residual insecticide. Again, we mentioned Cruiser earlier. We have another product, Endigo ZC insecticide, that has that Cruiser component to give us residual, kind of carry us through the rest of the season. But I do believe in IPM strategies. I do believe looking and making sure that, you know, we have that, you know, getting towards that economic threshold. But, you know, as I've seen bean prices come up and down and with this drought, you know, the bean price is going up. I think removing as much stress as possible from this crop, including insects, can be really critical to have a good year this year because it's, we're, we're kind of starting out a little shaky, you know, here in the Midwest, we're, we're in a good drought. So that means, we gotta protect as many bushels as we can.
0: I, I'm with you on that. I think when we're we're in a year like this, we just gotta well, we always have to worry about keeping stress to a minimum on these plants. So as we're making applications, i talked to a lot of farmers that are right in the midst of either spraying soybeans or they know like next week they're going to be spraying soybeans. Mixing in a pyrethroid in my experience hasn't really added a whole lot of leaf response or anything like that, but we got different chemistries out there now. We've got guys spraying in list. We've got uh, in in a lot of areas the dicamba spraying is all done, but there's certainly lots of different combinations guys are using what do you think about mixing something like warrior in there do you see any issues Do you have to change any additives up or anything like that
5: yeah so when it when it comes to adding you know warrior endigo zc that it's all about the formulation so when we look at those products they're formulated as liquid products instead of those old ec insecticides that you might see with with certain products so we're not going to see any additive uh, crop response from those products now when you go to maybe you know some of the other products out on the market, into those EC products, we can absolutely see more uh, crop response, you know, more of that leaf burning from those products. But that is the one nice thing; it's why you know, Warrior has a good fit on corn as well as beans. It's that liquid formulation. We don't have to worry about added crop response with that, and they're they're pretty nice low use rates, which is always handy too when we're we're looking at all the things we're putting in the tank on some of these uh, tank mixes here.
0: When it comes to bean leaf beetles, I am not aware of any resistance issues. Is there anything that you know of that you're like, oh, no, they, it's going to be just fine or we have to watch out for this product or that? What What do you see with bean leaf beetles? I know on soybean aphids, especially up in Minnesota, that the pyrethroids may not be working as well, but how about bean leaf beetles? Yeah, To my
5: knowledge, I don't know of any resistance to bean leaf beetles, but I think you did bring up a good point. You know, when we look at a lot of crops this year, obviously we're talking about bean leaf beetles, but more than likely we're going to start seeing other insects, right? I've heard a lot about aphids up in uh, Minnesota and northern Iowa starting to kind of move around, and we're getting some pretty heavy pressures of it with this hot weather. I think that's when we look at maybe going to more of a, a premix, of you know, like, a, say, an indigo ZC with that cruiser component. Um, it'll give us longer residual, you know, we're going to see that two, three week residual with an indigo compared to just really that knockdown power of a pyrethroid, but also we're going to see that broader spectrum. And I think that's going to be really important. You know, obviously we're, we're focused on bean leaf beetle, but we can't forget about all these other insects out there and making sure that when we spray an insecticide, you know, we got to make sure it counts for all of our insect pests and, you know, that yeah. we're looking for in
0: a field. Yeah, absolutely. Um lots of stuff to talk about here Zach we, we're just getting started with this season we got a long ways to go but thanks for joining us today to talk a little about bean leaf beetles and and good luck to you guys down in Iowa
5: yeah hopefully we can get some rain here
0: <laughs> you bet if we if we get some up here we'd be happy to share it we we need the rain as, really badly too but uh yeah we don't have to hog it all if we do get it uh okay bean leaf beetles couple things here that Zach brought up I think was really good. Uh, When you look at years like this where it does warm up pretty quickly in the spring and and I know a lot of times I'll hear people say well it just went right from winter to summer. One of the things that you have to watch as you get more heat accumulation we see bugs earlier than we normally do and that can be trouble for us if we've got really small crop and heavy pressure of insects. So make sure you're out there scouting. The other thing that that Zach said that I think is a really smart move too when it comes to scouting when are you looking for the bugs and if you say well I'm getting out there right after lunch and it's uh, noon or one o'clock in the afternoon no you're not going to see them then they're going to be out there in in the heaviest numbers early in the morning later in the evening when it's a little bit cooler they don't like to be out there when it's 90 degrees so do some scouting at different times of the day see what you're finding in your fields and treat accordingly we'll talk more about this problem coming up right after this
2: CNB, your local John Deere dealer is committed to helping you in the field. The CNB Support Center brings you machine monitoring, remote diagnostics, and guidance from expert technology specialists all season long. Learn more about what the CNB Support Center can do for you at deerequipment.com.
4: From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit mortonbuildings.com.
0: You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day with guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running than ever before. The Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. We'll also have great family entertainment including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drink available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything's free. Go to agphd.com to learn more for the Ag PhD Field Day Thursday, July 27th.
3: Nothing but net. Win your soybean season with the fast knockdown and lasting broad-spectrum control of Elevest Insect Control from FMC. Take on armyworms, stink bugs, soybean loopers, and more with the maximized ratio of premier active ingredients for better overall control of more than 40 labeled pests. Visit your FMC retailer or elevest.ag.fmc.com to up your game this season. Always read and follow all label directions.
0: listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio talking about bean leaf beetles. And sometimes people don't take bean leaf beetles very serious. Ah, they're not a big problem. I can kill them really easy. Okay. Well, are you spraying? Are you scouting for them? Uh, Brian was talking about this earlier that they have been known to spread bean pod model virus. So it's, it's a problem where you, you just Hey, once they're already out there, once they're spreading that in your field, it's too late. So we want to make sure we're stopping these bugs on the early side. Got Bill Verbatin with us right now with FMC. Bill, how you doing?
2: No complaints there and yourself?
0: Well, pretty good. Wish it was raining, but other than that, <laughs> we're doing okay. Uh, but, you know, here we are. We got this warm year, and the bugs are coming a little bit earlier. We're talking about bean leaf beetles. we got guys in our area that said their alfalfa had a bunch of bean leaf beetles in, and now they've all moved over into the soybean fields, and when your beans are really small, they can do a lot of damage really quickly.
2: Well, I'm glad you pointed that out. Oh, Darren, because, I mean, bean leaf beetles, like many pests, they have alternate crops they can um, feed on, and in this case, you know, anything in the legume family they love, and alfalfa first cut, and we have pretty high weevil pressure in parts of the area I service this year, and it's been an overall just a more severe bug year um, for a lot of different species, and I think, yeah, we're definitely talking about bean leaf beetle today, but we definitely want to keep our solutions uh, mindful of everything we're dealing with out there. And um, yeah, it's definitely going to be a, a bug year if the trends continue.
0: I'm just thinking bean leaf beetles really need to try water hemp. I mean, is it kind of like kids and broccoli that if they just try it, maybe they'd like it? And if they liked water hemp and Palmer pigweed, man, we'd have it made.
2: We would. We would. We would. And that's where, you know, with the bean leaf beetle side of things, I mean, when we're dealing with soybean insects, I mean, you have anything that has beetle in it you know you need a chemistry that's going to just pack a little more of a punch um and that's where sometimes if you're just you know reaching for the cheapest thing you can find well maybe that has the active in that that can kill them maybe not and that's where kind of our default for years is kind of a base program when we're looking at more of these beetle uh pest in soybeans has been hero good five ounces of that um but with all the other pests that are coming up a lot of the, the loopers some of the other beetles um, you know we're actually shifting folks more and more over to elevest we got a lot of university trials with that It has a second mode of action a diamide so it's a completely different way of killing bugs compared to our old pyrethroid so that's where we kind of been recommending a two-tier program of hey if you're wanting something that can cover a lot of your bases just make the leap to elevest on there um because you know we don't want to be dealing with bean leaf, uh, bean pottle virus or defoliation because i mean that's the other thing even before we get to the grain. I mean, you get 40% of the leaves chewed off or 20% of defoliation during reproductive stages, it can be a bad day. Yeah,
0: yeah, it sure can. Okay, uh, glad you brought up Elevest, Bill. We, we Get a lot of agronomists that listen to our show, and sometimes we'll get some feedback from them. Of talk more about new products because we're not getting enough training on some of these things. And I know for farmers, we get a lot of cutting edge farmers here too that are saying, "Man, I want to step my game up. I want to do a better job." Talk to us a little bit about the the chemistries that are in Elevest, and uh, how big a jump is it in price normally to move up from say uh, a product like Mustang Max or Hero, and uh, to get a little bit better control.
2: Well, you know, first and foremost, if if folks want local pricing, they got to talk to their local retail market manager for FMC. I'm I'm not going to venture in, in, in into that world. But in terms of how the diamides work, now they're a pretty new class of chemistry um, in the market, and so you know, with uh, a lot of what we've been relying on for years has been a um, you know the pyrethroid class, you know, quick knockdown chemistry, um, but unfortunately it's just not really the best tool for the job it's kind of like you know using a screw to drive in a nail and so when you have these wide variety of pests you have to attack a different part of their of just how they metabolize things and so things like you know the the diamides they really go after the insect muscles if you were if you will it's you know whereas the pyrethroids they go after the sodium channels And so especially when you get some of these caterpillar-like things, uh, loopers, um, you know, army worms, the the whole diamide class is really good for that. I know we've had a lot of anacor go out for the army worm this year on some other crops that aren't beans. But because we're able to attack these insects differently, um, we're seeing very good efficacy on it. And so that's where... You know, it's, it's no different than if we're controlling weeds or diseases, having multiple modes of action, mixing up your modes of action. You're going to have better control overall. And that's where, again, if a grower hasn't had a diamide in their program before, it's something to consider. And again, well, that's how we kind of upgrade, you know, our bifenthrin from, you know, it's one of our hero components. We add our diamide to it and um, so that's how you get L-O-V-S.
0: All right. So speak about the bifenthrin. We used yep. capture in the furrow at planting time this year and we've done that for a couple of yep. years in our soybeans and we yep. felt like that's really helped us. What what have you seen? Do you have many growers
2: doing that? So, yeah, so on the soybean side of things, it's not as common, but what what you're going to gain there is, you know, people forget that these beetles, they start out as larvae. And while there's some debate of how economical we can, you know, that that ap- application can be, um we're going to get larvae control. We're going to get some early season pest control um, with that. And so this, this is a practice where, again, depending on your pest levels and the rotations, um, it can be a good fit in soybeans up front to run some of this, um, you know, be a capture, you know, some of our ethos lines or some of the other things we got coming coming down the line. It can be a good way, especially under heavy insect pressure, to start strong and get you to that foliar timing where hopefully, you know, your pressure isn't as isn't it severe.
0: Well, some of these things like, like doing the insecticide at planted time, it's less than a bushel. And for, for yeah. us, we think how many bugs does it take to take away a bushel? Not very many. And we know we've got plenty out there, especially as we're doing cover crop. We're, we're often following uh, cover crop that's been out there. We're just seeing more insects.
2: Yeah. And that's, especially with your grassy cover crops. So cereal rye, very common. Um, you know, it's, part of, you know, putting more biology in the system is encouraging more biology. And so that's where if you if you don't have the luxury of being able to kill off your cover crop and waiting, you know, two, three, in some cases, four weeks, if you look at some of the university studies, I mean, let's face it, most of us who are growing crops aren't going to wait that long. Um, you know, there's going to be more bugs overwintering in that if you're planting green or something um, of that nature. So we just got to go in and understand the limits and the of the system because I know a lot of people are trying planting green. I was just at a field day earlier today where they were talking about some research on it. And, you know, if we're going to go that way, we just have to go in with both eyes open.
0: Hey, I just had a note come in from Ken down in Nebraska. He said, guys, we're using Steward for our corn rootworm beetles and it's working great for us down here. What about bean leaf beetles? I know Steward costs a little bit more money, but uh, would that be a choice too or is this L of Est better fit?
2: I think when we're looking at this, there we're looking at more of the overall um, whole spectrum of the insects that we encounter. And so that's where, um, you know, our diamides overall, um, you know, we feel like they have some really good broad spectrum. Don't get me wrong. Steward is a great product for a number of, of pests, but we really feel that that's strongest for the corn uh, rootworm beetle adults and um, your alfalfa weevils. Um, so that's really where we kind of put our best foot forward there. Um, and so that's where we have a lot of work ongoing this year, um, comparing steward and some of our diamide products at a number of universities. And so we might have some new information um, in a little bit of time, but I'd say for now, um, you know, if I'm looking at the upper Midwest and the really the broad range of things we're encountering, um, I really like LFS as kind of that upgrade if people are thinking of of mixing it up because it, it just provides a very broad spectrum.
0: Well, that's exactly what we need is broad-spectrum control. As we've been scouting, we're seeing a wide range of bugs out there and hearing from growers across North America, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, well, there's some of these bugs, but also some of these, and also some of these, so using multiple modes of action makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, we were talking about Elevis. They're having the diamide in there in addition to bifenthrin. Uh, a nice choice for knocking out bean leaf beetles and many more Uh, bill thank you so much we really appreciate having you on today
2: no problem hope you get some more rain soon Aaron and uh, good luck you bet
0: thanks we'll continue our discussion on bean leaf beetles we'll also take your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD we'll be right back
3: Are you ready? We got the need! The need for seed treatment! Start, Start your engines. engines! Ready, set, Intego. Intego! Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instruction.
1: The success of next year's harvest begins with this year's harvest. Hi, Greg Souder from 360 Yield Center. 360 Chain Roll is a simple replacement stalk roll for your corn head. Chain Roll doubles the rate of stalk breakdown. It crimps and cuts tough stalks to boost microbial activity and speed breakdown. And compared to chopping heads, it reduces emergence issues in next spring's crop. See 360 Chain Roll in action at 360yieldcenter.com.
0: At Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com.
2: There's an innovative new soybean herbicide on the market that's helping close the door on weed resistance and open new doors to productivity. Preview 2.1 SC Herbicide from UPL is a multi-mode action pre-emergent that controls the most resistant broadleaf weeds at the beginning of the season and continues to control later weeds with strong residual activity. Ask your retailer about Preview 2.1 Herbicide from UPL and always read and follow label directions.
0: listening to ag phd radio we're broadcasting from the morton studio today talking about bean leaf beetles and what you should be watching out for in your soybean fields right now got jeff whitworth with us right now down at kansas state university jeff you knew it we're talking bugs again and uh and we got you back thanks for joining us
4: sure anytime my pleasure
0: Hey, I've got, a, got some questions for you on these bean leaf beetles. Can you talk through what the life cycle is just a little bit and, and does it vary depending on where you're at in the country too?
4: Certainly. Uh, bean leaf beetles are probably the number one soybean pest all across the soybean growing regions of the United States. Um, they actually overwinter as adults. There's two different color phases. That can be a problem. Uh, There's kind of a tannish green color phase and a red color phase. The red color phase often is confused with lady beetles, and the tan or green color phase can often be confused with southern corn rootworms or the 12-spotted cucumber beetle um, because at the time there can be both uh, quite a few of both in in the fields. The bean leaf beetle, like I said, overwinters as an adult right now, they're coming out and they're feeding, uh, they're defoliating a little bit and they're feeding on the foliage actually. And the characteristic um, hole is round or oval that the bean leaf beetle causes in the leaves of the soybean plant. So the adults will feed a little bit. Sometimes that can be a cause of concern because if there's quite a few of them on border rows, uh, the growers get concerned about all the defoliation. But Usually it's just along the border rows, and those plants are really resilient at recovering from that. But then they lay eggs, and the eggs they'll lay right along beside the soybean plants. The eggs hatch into little larvae. The larvae are uh, look amazingly like corn rootworm larvae. Uh, they have a little brown patch on the head and the tail end, and they'll feed on the roots and the root hairs for you know. 20 to 30 days and then they'll pupate and they become adults and those adults will fly around and that's the generation generally that I worry about because they will feed on leaves but oftentimes the beans are just starting to set pods and the adult bean leaf beetle will feed on the pods uh, they don't feed on the seed within the pod they'll feed on the pod and that's an important distinction because the soybean pod worms or corn earworms will feed on the seed within the pod at the same time but the uh, adult bean leaf beetle will feed on the pod so that's like I said that's an important distinction to make the larvae will feed on the roots the root hairs um, generally not enough to cause a problem but sometimes if there's you know pretty good population in a part of a field if you look out and your soybeans look like they're stressed or they're not doing as well and a little patch here a little patch there, go out and pull them up and you'll probably see these little white worms hanging from the roots just as you would corn root worms in corn but they don't feed on corn and corn root worms don't feed on soybeans so that's the easiest way to distinguish the two of them but the bean leaf beetle then the adults will feed uh, on green pods all the way throughout the rest of the year that's uh, what I said you want to make sure you distinguish bean leaf beetle adult feeding from Corn earworm or soybean podworm feeding because the podworms only feed for about two weeks. Then they pupate. Um, So if you spray at that time, you're too late. Bean leaf beetles they can feed, like I said, as long as there's green pods, and then they will they will go to pastures or places where there's quite a bit of uh, leaf residue in alfalfa fields, whatever, to overwinter. So that's kind of the life cycle briefly. Now. It was as the adults first start stirring in the early spring, late winter, they will feed on alfalfa a little bit. And I get calls about do they cause any problems in alfalfa? They really don't because that time of year there just aren't enough of them. Um, But then they move to soybeans as soon as those, and and they're great at detecting those first uh, soybean emergence, you know, I mean, they come from miles to uh, (laughs) It's it's like raccoons.
0: It's like raccoons finding sweet corn when it's ready.
4: Oh, you know what? That's exactly right. Only they're better than raccoons. I don't say that (laughs) lightly because raccoons are great at it. Yeah,
0: that's for sure. Okay. Now let me ask this question, Jeff, because we've heard about bean pod model virus and I know we get feedback mm-hmm. from our listeners that say, I don't know if I've ever really seen that. What does that look like? And is that a real common thing with bean leaf
4: beetles? No, it's not in Kansas. I don't think I've ever, we've never taken any plants in that we suspected of having uh, the virus to have it uh, You know, actually identified by the plant path people. Every year I say I'm going to, Uh, But then I just don't because we just don't see enough of it um, that we worry about it. You know, it's something we tell everybody, but it's mostly what we're worried about is the feeding on the pods more so than transmission of the virus. I just don't think I've not noticed that many pods that look like they, you know, had the symptoms of the virus that we've had to worry about it, at least in Kansas yet.
0: All right, talk to us about scouting a little bit. We were we were talking about trying to be out there early mornings or, or when it gets a little cooler in the evenings. Is that the best time to find them, or or are we missing something?
4: Well, what I do is I like to wait till the dews dried because if you've ever tried to scout soybeans <laughs> <what we> <laughs> with a sweep net on when they're wet, yeah, it's it's it's, it's tough. So what I do is when I'm looking for bean leaf beetles, first thing I do is go out with a net and, um, you know, sweep sample. And if I start picking up the adults, then I will start doing the, you know, bending over the plants and shaking them vigorously over a row and counting the beetles, the adults as they fall off. Remember the adult bean leaf beetles very shy, very wary. So when you walk in the field, they're going to go down to the stem or they're going to drop off the plant. And they just stay, um, you know, motionless for a little bit on the ground. So the best thing to do is go out with a net first. And you can't get a treatment threshold from a net, but you can determine if they're there. And if they're there, that's when you go and take, you know, a foot of row or three foot or whatever your common sampling uh, procedure is. Shake them, vigorously shake them over the row and count the beetles on the worms, whatever else falls out. But I like to wait till it's, you know, mid-morning at least till it's dry because these insects adhere to the plants a lot better when it's wet. Plus, you know how wet your genes get and everything else walking through there. So it's just easier for me to wait a little bit um, later in the day or mid-morning.
0: Yeah, I, I just hate having a wet sweep. That it's just miserable to work with. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you this yeah. question now. You mentioned there's a tan green color phase and a red color phase. Do, they, do the tan green ones, do they stay that color or do they eventually turn red? What Or is there just some different variations with this
4: bug? Just different color phases. They all have six, well, most of them, some of them don't have the spots, but they have six black spots on their back and a black border around the wings with a little black triangle towards the front uh, up by the head. That's characteristic of the bean leaf beetle. And like I said, I've had, you know, cucumber beetles, the um, southern corn rootworm, they're out in the bean fields because they're often feeding on the leaves as the succulent green tissue. But they also are out there feeding on pollen. So they can often be confused with the color the green color phase of the adult bean leaf beetle but the adult bean leaf beetle is a little more rounded about a quarter I guess a quarter inch in length and remember they have six black spots a black triangle towards the head and a black border the um, southern corn rootworm and the lady beetles they don't have that same color pattern but you got to get him to hold still in order to see that, and that's not always easy to
0: do. No, if you give him a net, though, you can't you can kind of pinch him between two fingers without squishing him. No, you're you're right on the money. They yeah. they do have a distinct look if you just look close enough. Uh, we're talking with Jeff Whitworth here down at Kansas State. Jeff, you've been great again. Thank you so much. We really
4: appreciate having you on. Oh, sure. My pleasure. Anytime. Have a great day.
0: You too. Well, we do encourage you to keep scouting in your fields all throughout the season. And I know if you've been really busy this year and planting season drug on and spraying season is drug on all those kinds of things that you do kind of get worn out sometimes, but uh, this is a really important time to be scouting. And like Jeff brought up there too, uh, the first generation, yeah, they can do a little bit of damage. The second generation is a big concern. So it's a lot easier to just knock them out right now and not have to deal with so many the next go-round. We'll talk a little more about bean leaf beetles, and we'll take your calls and questions coming up right after this.
3: When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trifold herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um... We'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with TriVolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and TriVolt worked. See for yourself at TriVoltInAction.com. TriVolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hard-working fungicide control the toughest diseases with a dual mode of action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials lucinto fungicide from fmc works over time for lasting control to help improve crop yields talk about getting the job done visit your fmc retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com for hard working control in your fields always read and follow all label directions
0: you won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm, and the Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before. We also have great family entertainment, including a kids' area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the AgPhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please go to agphd.com to learn more and be sure to register to join us at this year's AgPhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th.
3: Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end Zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans' moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more.
0: Come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, and it is the Ag PhD Mailbag time, where we take your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD, or your emails, radio at agphd.com. Got this one from Marty down in North Carolina, and I love when we get questions on weeds, that we don't have up here. And I, it makes me thankful. I, this one, he said, how effective is Sharpen on Carolina horse nettle in a fescue orchard grass hayfield? Okay. Well, first of all, uh, Sharpen, I believe, is saflufenacil, I think is the active ingredient for our, our listeners north of the border. And Carolina horse nettle is a perennial weed with rhizomes. And what I know about Sharpen is it does a great job burning things off above ground, and it does a pretty nice job killing annual weeds with its soil residual. But Carolina horse nettle, you're just going to burn off the top growth. Now, if that's your goal, hey, I just need to burn off the top growth and try and let my hayfield get ahead of it, that could be a good tool. Because I know they talk about that particular weed as one that frequent mowings can really hurt that weed, but it's going to take several years where you keep cutting off all the top growth and finally it gives up. Uh, if that's your strategy, I'm going to start off with burning it off with Sharpen and then come back later. I I can see that would probably work. Uh, I know this one is, is pretty tough. Roundup is not always the most effective on it from what I've heard. Um, the products that do work well are Milestone and Tordon that have long uh, long-lasting residual in the soil, they can be used in pasture-type ground. So yeah, if it was going to stay permanent grass hayfield, uh, that would be an option for you, Milestone or Tordon or products that contain those. But otherwise, yeah, that is a tough weed. So I would not count on sharpen to get down in the root system and kill that, but it could be part of just burning it back and you're going on a program for two or three years trying to take this thing out. Hey, thanks for the question, Marty. We do appreciate that. All right, next question here. I got this one in from Ryan. And Ryan said, I was out scouting our corn crop yesterday. We're in west central Illinois, and I noticed some of the lower leaves turning yellow. So I watched a video you guys put out about nutrient deficiencies, and I'm just wondering: does this look like it's potassium deficiency? Uh, Just to give you a little background here, we did side dress with nitrogen a few weeks ago, so I'm thinking it's definitely not the nitrogen, it's it's probably potassium. Haven't pulled any leaves yet to send in for analysis. Just curious how much of an impact a problem like this could have on yield and if it could be potentially corrected for this season anyway with a foliar feed. Uh, I'm sending you my soil tests and you can see what you think there. It looks like, according to what you guys want, we're a little low in potassium. Hey, uh, oh, and one last note, he said, looks like boron is also low. Just curious your thoughts there, too. Hey, thanks, Ryan. We really appreciate it. And and you're right. The pictures are very helpful. Uh, so for, for our listeners, I know it's hard to explain a picture, but uh, he sent a picture looking down the row, and you can probably see about six plants in it, and then he sent a real close-up of a few leaves. And what we're seeing is that characteristic burning on the outside edges of the lower leaves, and the center part of those leaves is still green, and it's on the lower part, lower leaves on the plant. That is potassium deficiency. You're absolutely right on that, Ryan. And it looks like it's up about two or three leaves on the plant from the bottom. Looks like we got several leaves on top that, that are green. And what you're seeing there is the potassium is in the plant, and the new leaves weren't getting enough potassium, so the plant— pulls potassium out of those lower leaves and moves it up the plant. So it is a nutrient that's mobile in the plant. Uh, How important are those lower leaves? Well, they aren't necessarily super important for your yield later on, but you're definitely going to be losing some yield. I don't know, is there a good rule of thumb, Brian, about how much yield you're losing with potassium deficiency? You got a plant that's say at about V7 and you got maybe two or three leaves that are burning up. I'll give you the soil stats here. We've got a CEC anywhere in the 30s, so it's heavy soil. And we've got base saturation K in the 1.8 to 2.0 range.
1: Yeah, and that's why we've got the problem. How high is the magnesium, by the way?
0: 30 to 40%. Yeah,
1: and that's the biggest problem because the magnesium to potassium ratio needs to be about 2 to 1 in terms of parts per million. If it's greater than that, you're almost always losing yield. And But how much is a good question and when you see that potassium deficiency how much yield are you losing then i don't know i mean it's really going to vary because of the conditions that come afterwards so i guess that's what i would say we know we're going to lose something we want to try to avoid that in the future but i yeah i I don't have any concrete numbers for you so like like we always talk about here on the show you could take some of your ground get those k levels up and then if you're having a yield issue still, or if that solved it, or, you know, how much better you are, how much yield you gained. I mean, there are a lot of things you could look at there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. To get up to a 4% base saturation K in this, in this case, you need about 500 pounds of K, so about a thousand pounds of potash per acre. So you're probably not going to do that all in one shot, but you just start saying, okay, well, if I'm going to put a hundred pounds out there, maybe I double that each year and, and over a period of years you build it up. But like Brian was saying, if you take just a few acres, maybe take 10 acres and you say, I'll, I'll just throw the thousand pounds out and just see what happens. Or I'll do 500 uh, a couple different times and, and get it done just over a year or two period. That might be a good experiment for you just to see. I know in our farm we haven't noticed any of those kind of symptoms as soon as we built our soils up to 4%, but it's tough in those, that heavy ground for your root system to find all the K it needs as fast as it needs it. That That's a real challenge. Soybeans are, are a big challenge too because soybeans have such a heavy draw in mid-July and through August. That's why those August rains are so important to high-yielding soybeans. Hey, uh, that the other question that that uh, Ryan had here was his boron is at zero point six parts per million. And you know what, Ryan, where you're at with heavy ground, you definitely can build up iron. Or I'm sorry, uh, boron in your soil. You've got four percent organic matter there. What do you think in West Central Illinois, Brian? Uh, would you give it a shot trying to build that boron up to uh, part per million, part and a half per million, and at least start there?
1: What's your calcium parts per million?
0: 4,000.
1: Yeah, so theoretically you could go all the way up to four parts per million. So yeah, I, I, I mean our experience is put the put dry boron out in the fall and try building. That's what I would do. On heavy soil you're not nearly as much at as much risk for losing it as you would be in sand. So I would go that way. It's way cheaper to go dry than liquid. So that, that would be my first thought. Now granted, I would maybe still consider supplementing with liquid. But if we're talking about a soil build, yeah, you can start at a part or part, part and a half per million. But for us, that was not enough in our soils that were that heavy. So I think you're going to want to get up much higher than that. But you got to start somewhere.
0: The last thing, would you foliar feed some K out there when you're short like that in the field? Or do you just yep. bite the bullet and say, I'm going to yep. wait till fall and then do some dry?
1: No, I'd foliar your feet I, I I mean don't expect enormous yield gains but hopefully you double triple quadruple your investment but yeah I would put some foliar out so you're not going to spend a lot to do that
0: yeah definitely worth uh, giving it a shot Ryan all right get a question came in from Lucas here we got oh, about okay hey there oh, hey,
1: hey, hey, yeah, yeah but I before we get to that question I had something come up today that I wanted to talk to you about quick that was, we got a minute uh, and a half left, so out. this
0: might be it. I know. Go
1: I, it's going to be quick. Yeah, so iron deficiency chlorosis in soybeans. Farmer thought it was IDC. Agronomist goes out, actually H V P D carryover, right to the line where he stopped using the H V P D last year. But I just wanted to bring that up to people today. Do you think, oh, my beans are yellow, it's got to be IDC? Uh, does it? Or is it H V P D carryover? Because of the dry weather over the last couple of years, we're seeing lots of carryover issues that we wouldn't normally see.
0: The other thing that we're seeing is we're having some guys see a little bit of stinger carryover from last year. They used stinger in their corn last year, haven't sprayed any dicamba in the area, and guys said, wait a minute, from end to end in my field, I'm seeing some leaf cupping, and (laughs) nobody had sprayed dicamba, and they found out, oh no, I used stinger last year, and actually a pretty strong rate trying to take out, and I know in one case for sure it was ragweed they were going after, And they said, well, I need that much to knock the ragweed out. Well, if you put that much on and you don't get rain, you're going to have some problems in your soybeans next year. So do kind of watch what was done last year, especially when you're in a drought like this, that can be a real concern for you. Well, we talked about bean leaf beetles. Again, we just encourage you to be out scouting, whether it's looking for some of these nutrient deficiencies that we talked about, insects, uh, herbicide issues, just lots of things happening in fields right now. Thanks for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.